Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of speaking with Eric McIlvenny. Leadership is both a privilege and a responsibility. Eric had the privilege and honor of leading and serving Marines as an infantry officer for seven years. During this time, Eric recognized that being a leader involves being accountable, humble, selfless, and the example to follow. After losing his leg to an IED while serving in Afghanistan, Eric transitioned out of the military and into the world of endurance sports. A leader inspires a team to complete a task or mission. In becoming a seven-time Ironman finisher, Eric has been given the privilege of inspiring men and women of all ages to embrace the challenges in their lives by developing habits of success. Eric will be the first to admit that he has not always made the best decisions. That is where humility comes in. He puts an emphasis on the process of continued development through lessons learned from experience and through continued efforts at learning. So welcome, Eric McIlvenny. How are you? I'm wonderful today. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes, I am ready. Awesome. So, Eric, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Uh, Yes. As a child, I was always into the military. I knew I wanted to be a Marine when I grew up. And the path that I took there, I, I went to the United States Naval Academy. And at the Naval Academy, I studied engineering, graduated, and I was commissioned an officer in the United States Marine Corps. So I served as a Marine Corps officer for seven years in different leadership positions. And I was medically retired. I was injured in combat in Afghanistan about six years ago. I got out of the military, I think about four years ago now. And since then, uh, I race triathlons and I travel around and speak. And I'm just an ambassador for a few different organizations. And it's just been a really interesting journey. I've learned a lot. I've had some wonderful leaders and had some wonderful leadership experience. And I've just been very fortunate to have had those opportunities. First of all, I want to thank you for your service, Eric. And I know that our listeners are thinking the same thing. But also, I've looked at some of your story. When you say you were injured, I know that your story really depicts a lot of what happened to you and your perspective and how you've really come full circle. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do now? You say you're an ambassador. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yes. Actually, I lost my right leg below the knee to an improvised explosive device. That is what kind of started my next journey. And as I was getting started and beginning to move on and and move through this huge change, I realized that the same principles and, and habits and choices that I had this foundation, you know, from childhood, from my parents, from being a Marine. Uh, Those were really the same things that I pulled from to move through this adversity. And I was just fortunate to have had a lot of support. And there was an organization 
called the Challenge Athletes Foundation that helped me realize one of my goals and then helped me reach it. And that was running an Ironman triathlon. Oh, wow. Yes. I set a big goal. It's something that I knew would help me recover and rehabilitate physically, but also mentally and emotionally. And they came alongside me and and really supported me with equipment and gear and mentorship and training. And by the end of my training and as I was running this Ironman and after, they gave me the opportunity to mentor other people with disabilities and teach them how to run and be a part of that. And that really began, um, I guess, my new career of speaking because I had this opportunity to go out and share my story, talk about how I was supported here. And, you know, that kind of just launched a few other things. And it's been really interesting, something that I, I didn't see myself doing, but uh, something that has been very fulfilling and rewarding. And yeah, it's just been a lot of fun to continue to push, to continue to progress continue to learn and um, still be able to use the same foundation principles that I guess I always had. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that transition where you realized that you did need help, that you did need a mentor, you did need a coach? Tell us a bit about that because sometimes we get stuck in things that happen in life and challenges that we encounter. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm talking about it now. Like I definitely didn't have it down pat. I didn't have it perfect. I made mistakes. One of my biggest mistakes is pride. You know, I was injured. When I was in Afghanistan, I was the leader in combat and then I was injured. I went from this strong, aggressive Marine leader to in the hospital bed. I I was totally dependent on other people and it hurt. It was hard. So I wanted to get that independence back. So at first, when I was trying to take strides towards my goals, I struggled with accepting help and I looked at it as a handout. I didn't want a free handout. Mm -hmm. And finally, my wife, we met at the Naval Academy. She was a Naval officer. She's just great. She actually kind of sat me down and said, hey, hey, Eric, there's a lot of people that want to help you out. There's a lot of resources. They want to support you. And what you're doing by not accepting the support is you're robbing them of an opportunity to help someone out. Like they want to be part of this. Don't look at it like a handout. Look at it like a a team. You've always been part of a team. And the more people that you get on your team, the quicker things are going to progress, the better you can be. So that's when I was like, you know, that's that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sitting me down and, and calling me out on that. Because even though I thought I was doing the right thing, like I wasn't. And then I began to really use the resources around me to accept that support And that's when my team just grew and grew. And that's when I really started making progress physically, just getting out there, learning to run, getting signed up for races, meeting people, meeting organizations. And that's what led to an organization reaching out to me and having me being part of their team to compete at the Ironman World Championships. And that wouldn't have came about if I didn't start using the resources around me. And I I think that's something that a lot of us do is we're stuck in this pride thing. It's like, no, I want to do this for me. I want to do this myself. But there are resources out there and kind of the same thing. If someone ever reaches out to me for help, like I'm enthusiastic about helping. Like that's an honor to be part of someone else's thing. So I think it's important to realize that and to recognize getting support from someone isn't weakness. It's a strength. Great. Thank you so much. Now, I'm sure there's a leadership style that you had before the injury, and then there's a leadership style after. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? 
You know, my go-to leadership style, and it's, I guess it maybe just sounds cliche, but I've used it and lived by it. It's lead by example. You know, I was a Marine, and there's, there's a lot of people that don't fully understand that. You think of Marine, you think of the leaders like yelling at their subordinates and this and that. There are two times in my seven years as a Marine that I raised my voice and yelled. And when I did, my guys knew exactly, uh-oh, there's something wrong if Captain Mac is yelling, because that just wasn't me. I didn't change who I was as a leader. What I did is I wanted to lead by example. Did I always do it right? No. I tried. I did my best. But I found that that was the most important thing. If I wanted my guys there on time, I had to continuously be there on time. And not even on time, but be there early. It sounds so easy. Lead by example. I call that, it's simple but hard. It's simple because it just makes sense. You do what you expect your followers, your subordinates, whoever it is that you're leading, you do what you expect them to do. But it's hard because it's challenging to do that sometimes. It's not always easy. And, and being a leader, you get this extra huge responsibility. Uh, it's a privilege, but it's a responsibility. And it's challenging. So if you're going through your day and you're like, man, this whole leadership thing is, this is hard. I have to make hard decisions, then you're probably doing it right. You know, there's a struggle in it sometimes. And a lot of times it's easier to take a back seat. But if you look at it like a privilege, like, wow, I've been given this privilege to be a leader in whatever position you are, then mm -hmm. that helps. So your leadership style really hasn't changed. It's just deepened. Because oh, yeah. now you had to become an example of someone who's vulnerable. Yes. And I agree with you. Like now, my leadership style didn't change. My character didn't change. And that's what I, I think leadership, a lot of that is, is your character. And mm -hmm. you take a deep look at your principles and what you live by and your values. And that character and your ability to use that character to inspire action in others, that to me is leadership. Mm -hmm. And you know, everyone has a different style. I have certainly had some wonderful leaders that they've done stuff. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to use that because that was awesome. I had one of my commanding officers I was on a deployment uh, just out of nowhere. I had the opportunity to email back and forth with my wife. And she sent me an email telling me like, hey, I, I heard you're doing a wonderful job. You did this. I'm proud of you. You did this. You did this. And I was like, wow, I didn't tell you any of that. Like, how did you know all that? <laughs> and she said, well, Isaac sent me a letter, <laughs> hand wrote her a letter telling her how I've been doing and just you know, how proud of me he was. And I was like, wow, that was so cool. And the respect that I had from him was already pretty high, but it just got so much more. You know, I didn't want to let him down because he cared about me as a person. So that's one of the things. Like, I've had great leaders that I've been able to say, you know, that's something that really works. I'm going to use that. But at the same time, like, I'm not going to change who I am because then it's not authentic. And it's not mm. genuine. And having someone like your wife, who seems so amazing in your inner circle, where you're open to her input is really important. So thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. Now, Eric, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I like a quote. I'm not sure where it comes from, but it's, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's talking about your subordinates. Uh, that was big. When I was coming out of the Naval Academy, then off of a year of training from Marine Corps, I had to check into my unit. And I got my first platoon where I was in charge of 46 Marines and vehicles. And I had just spent five years at school learning. I had a lot of knowledge. And just some of my instructors <laughs> said, beware. You don't really want to go in and just show them how much knowledge you have. Because honestly, no one cares. That means very little until they know that you care about them. 
I was fortunate. I had a daughter when I was 23 years old, so I became a parent and I learned what being a father was. So when I checked in to my first platoon, I, I think I used that, like because I, I loved and cared about my daughter so much. Like that is something that that I didn't really have before that. But having that, I realized like that's what caring about someone is. Like I want to make them better. I want them to progress. I want them to you know, move forward, get the next best job, do the next best thing. I want their home life to be good. And when you know how much someone cares about you, like you're going to respect them. So the first thing that I used with each unit that I went to is like, I wanted to show them that I cared before I showed them, I guess, my expertise or what I knew in that particular job. Great. Thank you so much. And you know, as a teacher, the same thing, when I became a parent, it just deepened my understanding of that. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. It's tough when you throw some children into the mix and you have a job, but I think it's invaluable to learn lessons as a parent. <laughs> I mean, there's so much leadership just built into that and so much responsibility. And I know that being a parent made me better at work. And it continues to because I have a 14-year-old son. And apart from leading myself, he is my greatest challenge. It teaches me a lot about leadership for sure. Uh, now, Eric, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Two people come into my head and I'm just trying to really nail down their leadership style. And I think it's what I've been talking about a little bit. Like I'm inspired by that person who's going to go out and put everything that they have into something. I guess I respect someone who has that work ethic, a strong work ethic where you know when there's a mission or an objective that they're going to put everything that they have into it. They're not holding back. And at the same time, as a leader, they're going to trust their subordinates and delegate responsibility. There's a lot of time that as leaders, we can begin to micromanage. You know, I've been guilty of that and I've seen it. I've been micromanaged by someone and it's just, it's hard. It's like this leader doesn't trust me. So I've loved it when a leader who has the full capability of completing a task hands that task off to me and lets me struggle through it and, and is there to mentor or guide me and building up this team so they can get the experience to fill those leadership positions as well. Now, you mentioned something that to me is so much on my heart always, and that's trust. How did you transition from being someone who micromanages to someone who trusts? And what really made things clear for you that trust was something that's important? I was told. It's a really neat built-in system in the Marine Corps that we do monthly counseling with our subordinates. So say I'm leading a platoon of 45 guys. Mm -hmm. I have three squad leaders underneath me and I counsel them once a month and they counsel their guys. It works downward from there. But what I did, and again, like I used this from another leader that I meant because it was just very effective. I said, this is some of the things that you've done really well. This is some of the things you can work on this month. And before we're done with this counseling session, what's one thing I could be doing better? That's great. It's hard because the first time there was a leader that kind of threw that at me, <laughs> it was awkward. It's like, I don't want to answer that question. Right. It really gets you thinking. But one of the first times that I did that, that all three of my squad leaders say, well, sir, like you give us a task and then you're just constantly looking over my shoulder, you know, or, you know, one person said I'm micromanaging. In a way, they all said the same thing. And it's like, wow. 
at first, it's hard to take feedback for anyone. Like in my head, I was thinking, oh no, that's not true, you know? But if all three of them said it, it's probably <laughs> true. I kind of just zipped up my mouth and thought about it for a while. And it's like, okay, that's what I have to do this month is I have to do a better job of giving clear instruction and then really trusting that they're going to get the job done. And sometimes there's more than one way to get a job done. And I guess I used to be stuck in, no, it has to be done this way. And I, I found out when I began to stop micromanaging that the job can get done in different ways and mm -hmm. it still gets done and people grow and people get better and that's how they learn. So it really was getting feedback from other people of where my weakness was and then working on it. And if working on it, the first thing you have to do is recognize it. I recognize like, uh-oh, I'm doing it again. I need to step back. But once you start to recognize it, that's when you can start making changes. And that's a practice in humility, Eric, how even though you may not have been ready to hear the responses from them, just the fact that you asked that question is a practice in humility. And sometimes we need that, right? Yes. So, Eric, what's the best advice you've ever received? I had a battalion commander. He was a couple steps up from me. I was talking to him one day because my unit, we were struggling, we were having some issues. And I had to go and tell him like, hey, we had another guy get in trouble for this. I, like, I thought I was just gonna get yelled at. You know, I was having issues. And his response wasn't that because he saw that I was visibly upset. He said, first, let's try to find the positive in this. And I'm, I'm thinking, there isn't really a positive in this. <laughs> and he's like, no. And he started, you know, going with it. And he's like, okay, well, here's a positive. Like, you have never had to handle something like this. Like, this is out of your comfort zone. So you are going to grow as a leader. Like, that's something positive. And uh, I thought that was a really cool thing. I thought that was a cool thing to, when you're in a situation, instead of just quickly acting out of impulse, to try to look for that something positive. I began doing that. And it's a, another really just awesome experience I had. This came at a, the hard part where I was injured. I got injured in Afghanistan. My wife got a phone call and she was told that I was hurt. And she sat down and, and told my daughter. And my daughter at that time was five years old. And so she said, daddy got hurt at work. Daddy lost one of his legs. Daddy's going to be coming home. We need to be there to support him. And my daughter, her reaction was a question. She said, well, when is daddy coming home? And my wife said, he's going to be home in about five or six days. And I was injured in December. And my daughter, who was in kindergarten, she just processes all this information. And after about 10 seconds, she smiles. And she says, daddy's going to be home for Christmas. And I, I thought that was so cool. Like, you know, maybe it's a kid's way of thinking. It was a very negative event for me and my wife and my parents and my friends. And then my little five-year-old daughter just so purely pulled something positive from it, you know? And it's like she had the choice to look at the negative, but she's like, nah, he's going to be home. He's coming home for Christmas. And that was a positive thing. And I just thought that was so cool. And I realized like, hey, even in these negative situations, there is something positive. It's one of those things that you look for the silver lining and realize that there is that something positive. And if that's something that you do regularly, it turns into a habit. I think that's usually the type of person I want to be around. It's a contagious attitude. And I think it's helpful for a leader to have that attitude. I've seen some of the clips of some of your presentations and you really focus on positive. Can you tell us a bit about what you do? And if our listeners wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way to do that? 
Hi, I just have the privilege of going around and sharing my story to different audiences, whether it's an elementary school or middle school or high school, university, a corporate, church, you know, whatever it is, like uh, just to have the opportunity to share my story and talk about some of these principles that have really helped me move through this adversity, this change, this challenge, and talk a lot about character. So it's been a real cool thing. Real privilege to do that, to go around to meet some amazing people and have this opportunity to share some of my life and some of my story. And it's just the most humbling thing ever. I have a website. It's just www.ericmcelvenny.com. And I love it when people reach out to me, even if you're not interested in me coming to speak. Like, I love answering questions or giving any type of advice. You know, if, if you have someone who's recently injured, you know someone, like, I, I would love to talk to them. I remember those early days and it was hard. Please feel free to reach out to me through that site. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, Eric, I know you've been a part of teams. I know you've cultivated, created teams. What does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? Yeah, it's really a lot about the players that you have on that team. And I look for those players on that team who, one, are resilient and two, have a work ethic. Talent is great, but if you have a choice between someone who has talent and someone who like has an inability to quit, I'm going to choose that resilient person because talent is only good if, you know, when it gets hard, if you keep going. I look for kind of those qualities in a team. Also, I think in order to develop a team, you have to really give all the team members responsibility and trust and give them experience because you don't want to be the smartest person on your team. <laughs> you don't want, you want to be the strongest person on your team. Like you want the people around you to be right up there with you or better than you. Like that would be great. So it's, sometimes it's important to put pride away and really try to cultivate other people's strengths and recognize that that is important. Having those habits and communication is critical. And I think communication, the way we did it in the Marine Corps was just so effective where you actually sit down with someone and have the courage to tell each other what you guys are doing good and bad and what we can work on. And that's something that is going to make everyone better. And it's just going to make for a better work environment, I think. You mentioned resiliency, you mentioned courage, which are to me really, really important in leadership. So for the listeners who may be new to leadership or maybe thinking about leadership, what advice would you give us about practicing resiliency? Resiliency and courage, those are really big, wonderful character things to have. But yeah. how do you start to develop that? Yeah, you start small. Like for me, I've always been a pretty goal-oriented person, and sometimes I don't have massive goals, but I have goals. My uh, 2018 New Year's resolutions, I have them written up, they're hanging up in my office, and, and some of them aren't huge. Like one of them is to go on a date with my wife once a month. <laughs> and I know that sounds pretty easy, but we have three kids, and it, it's a challenging thing. And I looked at the calendar, and we almost missed it this month because January is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. I travel this weekend. I have to make this happen. We're going to go on a date tomorrow morning for breakfast because that's what worked. And that's just one of those things. And I think being resilient is just not quitting on mm -hmm. those goals mm -hmm. at any level. 
So if you start something small, then you see it through. You have to do it. And if you're able to see something small through, then you're going to get more responsibility. Those things are going to get a little bit bigger and a little bit larger. It's day in and day out to just not quit the little mm -hmm. things. Like, I think it's important for us parents to focus on with our kids. Like when I was little, I was in the band in the eighth grade and I was ready to quit. Like I was done with band. I played the alto saxophone and I really wanted to quit. And my mom said, well, you started it. So you have to finish this year. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, but there was a time in high school I wanted to quit my football team because I wasn't getting playing time. I was whining and my dad said, OK, you can quit after this year. You know, it's like you can't quit something in the middle. So it, that foundation carried through for me. You know, thinking back, there's very few things in my life that I've ever quit at. So if you start at the small things and just day in and day out, just don't quit. Like you are going to become a more resilient person in the bigger things as well. You're kind of building a muscle in resiliency and in courage. And you're absolutely right. Once we start practicing this and we start getting used to responding in a certain way, it grows. So thank you so much for that, Eric. Hey, leaders, if you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top-level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. Now, we've spoken about this, but if you want to get deeper, that's fine. So, Eric, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? I can go deeper. Losing my leg was hard. Like that was a change, that was a challenge. But a bigger challenge that I had is I already mentioned that my wife and I were both in the military and we were raising a daughter and we did five deployments in a pretty quick time. I went and deployed for eight months then I came back and then my wife deployed for eight months and then she came back. It just went on and on and we were newly married with a new daughter and we struggled. Like we struggled in our marriage to the point of almost giving up. We ended up not giving up. My faith in our church helped shape me, but we ended up coming out better and stronger. And I don't know, when people ask me about challenge, that time in my life that I lost my leg, like that wasn't the hardest thing that I went through. The hardest thing that I went through is a failing marriage when we were struggling and struggling and struggling. But both of us, we just didn't quit. We pulled from resources. We kept moving forward. We kept doing it. And now, like, we have the strongest marriage that we've ever had because we went through some difficult times and we just never quit through that. Like, when I think about it, you know, it's weird. I had a physical injury, a huge change in my life, and that was challenging. But it was the marital struggle that so many people struggle with and face that that to me was harder than losing my leg. That was before I was injured. But that really helped teach me that, you know, if you stick at it and you use your resources and you keep pushing, then you can be successful. And my wife and I, we are very successful. Mm, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that, Eric, because it happens. And especially if you're in a working environment where you're leading and you have a lot of responsibilities, sometimes you come up against this struggle with, you know, a situation where marriage isn't as strong as it should be, and it may not survive, or you've gone through divorce. But relationships really is something that we all need to work on. So I really appreciate that. So Eric, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? 
One of my greatest successes. When you say that, like I run through my head running across the finish line of the Ironman World Championships. And it was yes. 20, yeah, yeah, it was 22 months after my injury and it was so hard. And like that day, you know, it took me 11 hours and 54 minutes of just working hard. But what was hard was the year prior in January, waking up when it's dark, when it's cold, before everyone else and going and swimming an hour and then hopping on my bike and biking three hours. Like those were the hard times, like doing that, but doing it consistently day in and day out and having the discipline to do it. So when I finally got to that day, even though the Ironman day was so hard, when I crossed that finish line, I just thought back to all of those challenging workouts that no one else saw you know no one was there to see me struggle through those but as I'm coming across that finish line is just everyone sees me coming across with my arms in the air and they're like oh cool you know you, it was a great race good job and what went through my head was all of that hard work leading up to it all that hard work and you know the people that supported me and supported that mission of, of me setting a goal and following it through and I guess that would be a big one well Eric can you send me a picture of that Yes. I'd love to see that. You'll see it in my face. It was such a long, honestly, painful day. There were ups, there were downs. There was a time that I was sitting on the side of the road. But when you see the picture of me crossing the finish line, you just see the emotion in my face, just like this huge smile. The pain went away for those couple seconds. <laughs> I'll certainly send that to you. Oh my goodness. I imagine how hard that is. I attempted to do a half marathon. I didn't quite do it the way I wanted to. So I appreciate how hard that was. I really do. So thank you so much for that. Now, Eric, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I think anyone who is discouraged and hasn't felt that way before, just know that you're not the first person that has felt discouraged. In fact, like there are many times in my life that I have felt discouraged in what was going on with my leadership, with my unit, with the environment. And we talked about resilience a little bit and just continue to do the things that you need to do be a little bit patient and be open to adapt. Look for what needs to flex or change a little bit so you can meet the objectives, but just don't quit. Keep pushing forward. And a big one is trust the people that have gone before you and who have been doing this job as long or longer than you or you know, reaching out for advice, reaching out for help is always a good thing because you're not the first person that is experiencing this environment. I would say that everyone at some point in their experiences have been discouraged and they can help walk you through it. It's a practice in resiliency. So thank you so much for this. Now, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What mm -hmm. does that mean to you and what are you learning now? That's wonderful. And that's part of it. Because, you know, we go to school, you go to what 12 years of school, and a lot of people go to college for a couple of years. And it's like, okay, I'm done. In the Marine Corps, like we had PME, professional military education, and we had to continue reading books, we had to do this. And again, that felt forced. But when I transitioned out, you know, I, I went through times where it's like I coasted. But I realized like, if you're not learning, if you're not educating yourself, you're not progressing. And it's just, I think it's just the coolest thing to continue to learn. Continue continue to educate. I want to keep my brain engaged. I want to continue to um, use the resources out there. So I'm still studying. I'm still at a school. I moved on and getting a degree in theology. Also, like one of my New Year's resolutions is to read 50 books this year. 
do a big goal. That's it, great. It, well, thank you. It's one of those things because I, I have found that when you learn from other people, there, there's so many great ideas out there. And if you're not reading, if you're not learning these ideas, like you're missing out. I train a lot. This morning, like I, I rode my bike for two hours and I ran for 30 minutes and I listen to a lot of books. So I do audiobooks. I always try to have a physical book on me. So if I have some time, uh, books downloaded on my phone. I can rip through books pretty quick. Some of them is leisure. It's good to stay engaged and entertained. Some of them is, you know, books on leadership, books on goal setting, uh, self-help books, some books on my faith. So it's like I just a wide variety and I just want to stay engaged. So I think it's important to set one of your goals, and, you know, whether it's reading books or whether it's listening to podcasts. I love listening to podcasts as well. Set a goal to really take in some of the resources around you because you're, you're just going to learn. Maybe you don't agree with everything, and that's the best. If you don't agree, then you don't have to adopt it, but you know it's out there. Last night, I was listening to a conference call with Mark Cole, who is John Maxwell's right-hand person, and he was talking about the one thing that sustains great leaders, that makes a great leader sustainable, reading. I don't know if I got it from Maxwell or from someone else, but that helped fuel my goals. What he said is that great leaders are readers and typically 12 books a year, you know, one a month. So 50 books, you're well, awesome. I have the added luxury of training for Ironmans. <laughs> so <laughs> I can almost read a book in a week if I do enough training. <laughs> for me, it's listening and reading. All right. So Eric, if there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? I don't think our educators are treated the way they should be. One, I feel like it is the most important job. The foundation that you gain during your childhood, you're going to pull from those principles as you move forward. You're developing the next generation as educators. And I think it's so cool to look at educators the way a lot of people look at like our professional athletes. I'm not knocking professional athletes, like they've worked hard to get there, but being a teacher, being an educator is more important than playing a game. And I just think it'd be so cool to recognize that. And some people do. I think their salary should be larger. I think that they should get cheered on. I think that they should be encouraged. I think parents should trust educators. It's such an uh, important thing. And I am thankful. I'm blessed for the educators that I had growing up, the people that I still remember that poured into my life. It's been really fun watching my daughter move through school and having relationships with her teacher and her teachers I've seen it they want her to progress and to become better and it's just a really cool thing to have that kind of passion I wish everyone would recognize that as being the most important job in our country I'm with you and I really appreciate that coming from you you're not in the educational field but you do see the importance of us educating the future, the great responsibility that that is. Yeah. So Eric, as an avid reader, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? I recently read a book. Uh, it's a newer book by Angela Duckworth called Grit. And it mm -hmm. talks a lot about resilience. I think she did a great job of not only just talking about like the feeling and emotion, but really digging into a little bit of the science. Like she did a lot of different studies at different institutions to include like West Point and they were measuring success and what qualities really make success. 
and resilience study after study outweighed a lot of the other qualities. It's kind of cool throwing facts into that big term resilience because mm -hmm. you don't always see that. It's funny, resilience is the thread that has gone through this whole conversation that we're having <laughs> and how important it's been in your life and how important it is in leadership. So I really appreciate that. Now, Eric, you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? My morning routine is pretty similar. I wake up, I let my dog out, and I work out. You know, I've tried doing it differently, and it just doesn't work for me. Like, I want to get my workout in, and I have a schedule. So I do that, and as soon as I get done, I get showered up. I sit down, and I do a devotion. I read out of the Bible, and I pray. So I think there's a little bit of meditation involved, and that's about 15 or 20 minutes. And then I take the next 10 to 15 minutes to sit down and plan out my day. It's been interesting doing what I do now because there's a lot of different directions I can go in a day. So I really need to write out, like, what are the main things that I need to accomplish today? And then my mind is clear. I have, like, a little bit of a plan. I go after it. That's what I go for. You have your own business. You work from home? Yes. Yeah, and that has its own challenges, right? Because oh, yeah. you have to keep yourself on top of things, and you're pretty organized, and you're pretty disciplined, so that's important. Now, Eric, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Great question. What advice would I give the younger me? You know, I would tell myself to be patient. And it's an easy thing to say, but try to take a step back and look at the big picture. Because when you're at work day in and day out, you're doing what you have to do. That's what you see. Like you're in the trenches and you're going through the chaos and, you know, there's things going right, there's things going wrong. You get really busy. I would tell myself to, hey, Eric, things are going well. Take a look at the big picture. Don't get frustrated over these little things. Just keep doing what you have to do. Just, just try to be a little bit more patient. Great advice. Now, Eric, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't touched on? Continue to do what you do and take a step back and just look at the big picture. Because as an educator, you're in the classroom, you're dealing with a lot. Things go right, things go wrong, you're busy, this is happening. Every once in a while, try to take a step back and look at what you're doing. Look at your purpose. Look at the meaning behind it and recognize that you're doing something larger than yourself. You are impacting individuals. You're impacting families. You're impacting the next generation. And it's just a really cool thing to be able to do something that has impact on someone else. Now, there's another quote that I like from Teddy Roosevelt. He said, far and away, the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. And mm -hmm. you ask yourself, what is work worth doing? And when you're doing something that has this direct impact on the people around you, like that to me is work worth doing. So thank you. Eric, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was fun. This was a good time. You got it, me thinking sometimes and it was a lot of fun. It was fun. And I really appreciate you being on. Have a great have day. A, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.